You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin with verse number 16. And we're just going to read one verse for now, and we'll read through the rest of it as we go. Verse 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us, and let's ask Him. Uh, that let's, I'm going to have my hands open as a picture, just a symbol of my heart being open to Him. And uh, if you if you'd like to do that, also you may. But um, let's really keep our hearts open for what He has for us. It may be that there's somebody here today who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but they've never truly been saved. They've never truly come to a knowledge of their Savior. And so I'm hope of the Savior. So I hope today will be the day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the words of Jesus, we're so thankful that uh, some editors uh, in time past have decided to put those in the red for us and so we can see uh, very clearly that you, what you're saying to us. We pray that we would understand it. Uh, some, some passages can be confusing, some can be difficult for us to understand. And so we pray that today we will understand exactly what you are trying to teach us. We pray for the kids in junior church that they also would hear the gospel this morning and that maybe you would, you would change one of their lives or change the lives of those who need it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, you know, I have people everywhere today. People everywhere are living for today, living for tomorrow. But most of most people are not living for eternity. They don't really have a view of eternity, and they have no regard for it. Irma Bombeck said this, Seize the moment. Remember all those women on the Titanic who waved off the dessert cart. <laughs> Should we live for today? Should we live for tomorrow? Should we live for eternity? You see, those three questions, if we try to separate those into three different eras that we can choose which one we're going to live for, then we're headed for destruction. Because we can't just live for today because our today affects our tomorrow. We can't just live for tomorrow because that's going to affect today. But all of it affects our eternity. And our eternity affects how we live today. So let me let Jesus explain this to you. In verse 16, the man comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what can I do that I can have eternal life? How can I have eternal life? Now that's a simple question and, and we talked in Sunday school this morning that our church services are, I, I made this mention of this, that our church services are primarily, not only, but primarily for the gathering of the body as we exhort one another. Rosie pointed out that also that we learn, right, scripture is given that's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So there's a lot of different reasons that we're gathered here today. And we do want to share the gospel. If you're here today without Christ and you've never trusted him, then we want today to be the day that you trust him as your Savior. So when people come in and say, well, how can I have eternal life? This man comes to Jesus. And in the book of Luke, he's described as a certain ruler. So we know he's a ruler. We know from verse 20 of our text in verse 22 that he is young and that he is wealthy. So this is known as the, the, not a parable, but the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and according to Mark chapter 10, uh, he came to Jesus and he knelt down before him. He comes to Jesus and he comes down with a sign of respect, with a, a humility that shows that this man truly had a question for Jesus. Now I want you to notice something. His question is not, 
What must I do to be saved, was it? But what good thing must I do to be saved? Most people have a good works view of salvation. Most people you meet in the world, they might say, hey, yep, I'm a Christian. Hey, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And people will say that. But when you get down to it, a lot of them are still relying on their good works along with Jesus to get them to heaven. What, how much good must I do? Does my good have to outweigh my bad? Do I get bonus points for doing good for widows and orphans? Is that, is that extra? Is that going to get me there a little bit easier, a little bit quicker? And many people just have the approach of, I'm going to do my best and hope it works out. That's a horrible way to live. What a horrible way to live to go, I don't know if you truly understand that your only two options are heaven and hell. And if you understood the glory of heaven, but then understand the torment of hell, to live in a way to say, man, I hope I make it. What a horrible way to live. This man comes to Jesus and he had more wisdom than that. He had more wisdom than most people today. And he asked this question. Uh, he, and he asked, and he, but he, before he asked the question, he calls Jesus the good teacher, good master. And he says, what, what is the secret? Now, before Jesus addresses the man's question, he first addresses how the man calls him good master. Now, the good word, the, the word good is relative, isn't it? If you say, hey, I'm a good basketball player. Now, nobody says that about me. But if I'm playing against a bunch of little tiny kids, I'm a pretty good basketball player when it comes to that. Uh, but when I'm playing against guys my age, actually nobody my age still plays. That's what I found out. I'm the oldest guy out there all the time ever since Jeff retired from playing basketball. Uh, but I, 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 uh, I'm not a very good basketball player. But compared to some, I might be pretty good. But then we might say, hey, there's a guy that comes to play his name is Justin. And uh, Justin's a great guy, a really nice guy, plays with us. He is so good. But if you put him against a college, a Division I college player or an NBA player, he wouldn't be very good. Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, We compare ourselves to each other just as we talk about animals. I say about my dog, my dog is a good dog. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that my dog has a highly refined ethical sense of propriety or that, uh, or propriety, or that my dog knows... Uh, how to make those hard decisions that righteousness requires. No, I'm just saying that as the dogs go, my dog's a pretty good dog. My dog calls when I call her. She doesn't bite the mailman. She's housebroken. That's what a good dog is. Right? So we, we compare things. We say, well, my dog is a pretty good dog. My dog's better than your dog. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, does it? This man was being respectful to Jesus. When he comes and he says, good master, he kneels down at, at his feet and he says, good master. He's being respectful. But did he know what his words really meant? The, the Lord's response, he says in verse number 17, and he said, And him why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter, enter into life, keep the commandments. So Jesus responds by saying, hey, there's none good. Now, we might think that's unnecessary. Why did Jesus say, oh, he understands that I'm good? That's, that's good enough. Let's just move forward and let me share the gospel with him. Jesus knew that if the man was going to understand the rest of his answer, he needed to understand who he is. A lot of people use the same vocabulary and the same uh, words that we use to describe what salvation is, but they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. When Jesus said, there is none good but one, that is God, Jesus was not denying his own goodness, but here's what he was doing. He was giving them an option. He was giving him an option that you can either 
you can either believe that I'm not good, then what's the point in asking me the question? Or you can believe that I'm God. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen, we're not going to settle somewhere in the middle that Jesus was a good man. He's like, you have to look at me and say either I'm wrong and he's not good, or you have to look at it and say he is God. Those are the only two choices that we can have. Men cannot believe that Jesus was just a good man to be saved. You must believe that Jesus is God. We must believe that Jesus is God because only God, listen, only God could provide the atonement that is necessary for your sins. What's atonement? It means the acceptable sacrifice, the acceptable substitute. Only God could do that because every other man in this world is a sinner. So only God could do that. Angels couldn't do it because they're not human. Men cannot do it because they're not perfect. It took the God-man that must come to this earth to die for our sins. So Jesus didn't wait for an answer. He says, why call yourself me good? It was more of a rhetorical question. I want you to think about that. Why are you calling me good? Secondly, then Jesus answers. Then he says, if, you, if thou will enter into eternal life, enter into life, keep the commandments. He, wait, I thought Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that for by grace are you saved through faith. And that... Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God's, not a gift, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is there a contradiction here? Because we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We know that to be the case, but then Jesus said, Well, if you want to enter into the life, here's what you gotta do. You gotta keep the commandments. That seems to go against everything that we believe about the gospel. But Jesus is answering his question about what good works this man could do to have eternal life. He's answering the question that the guy asked. The question was, what good thing can I do? Jesus said, here's what good thing you can do. You can keep the commandments. That is the only thing that you can do, that's the only thing that you can do to have eternal life, is that you keep the commandments from your birth up. That is the only thing that any human can do. The natural response then would be, which commandments? Right? Okay, you got to keep the commandments. Okay, well, which ones? And so the man says in verse number, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus said unto him, he saith unto him, which, in other words, which commandments? That, that's, that's a normal response. Like, you've got to keep the commandments. Okay, well, tell me which ones. This man understood that there were 613 commandments in the mitzvah. Okay, you might think, well, I'm thinking of the Ten Commandments. That's true. But the Jews believed, and they, when they figured things out, they said there are 613 commandments that we must keep. That's a lot of commandments, right? That sounds like the Christian school I went to, right? There's 613, and I could never keep track of all of them. Uh, uh, and, and I'm not against that. You know, I think rules, rules are good, especially uh, in that environment. So which commandments? What Jesus could have said was keep all of them, right? He could have said that. He could have said, um, which ones do you need to keep? Keep all of them. And he would be like, oh, my goodness. I've got to go through each one and see if I've done it. But Jesus didn't do that. Here's why. Because it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary for him to say, keep all of them. So Jesus simply gives him one of the two tablets of the Decalogue. Meaning the Ten Commandments, there were Ten Commandments, there were four that dealt with man's relationship with God, and there were six that dealt with man's relationship with man. So here's what Jesus said. Verse 18. Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, that's the sixth 
commandments that deal with man's relationship with man. So he gives them just six commands that he had to deal with. And here's what the man says. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? I've, I've, I've kept them all. All six of them. Not all 613 maybe. But Jesus said, Those are the six that I need to keep. And the man says, I've done that. Did he? Really? Has he really done it? And that, that's what we would think, right? When, and I, I've knocked on people's doors or just witnessed to people and I've said, Hey, listen, do you, do you believe you're a sinner? No, I haven't. No, I've never sinned. I've had people say that to me, okay? Um, obviously, their definition of sin is different than the biblical definition of sin. So you take them. Uh, Brian and I, we've listened to uh, um, Witness Wednesdays. Uh, and what he, what uh, Todd Friel does is he goes to college campuses and he um, witnesses them. And he uses the Ten Commandments to show them that they're sinners. It's a really good, effective way to show people that, there's, that they're sinners. So what happens here is the man says, I've done all that. But what he's using is a liberal interpretation of the law. Many of the Jewish schools at that point had accepted this liberal interpretation of the law. And by that, he probably remained innocent in the eyes of men. Now, when I say that, make sure you understand that he's innocent in the eyes of men. Paul wrote this in Philippians 3.6, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says... Hey, I'm blameless according to the law. Now, does that mean Paul thought he had never broken any of the 613 Jewish commandments or that he hadn't even broken the Ten Commandments? Of course not. Paul had kept the law according to the Jewish interpretation of the law. This man probably had kept the Jewish interpretation of the law. Now, if you remember when we covered the Sermon on the Mount, we went through, the, Jesus talked about the spirit of the law. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Have you lusted after a woman in your heart? Well, if the answer to that is yes, then you've committed adultery. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill. Have you been angry with someone without cause? Well, if the answer to that is yes, then you've, you're guilty of murder. Well, honor thy father and mother. Well, in front of them, I've always been respectful. Now, not me, Okay. If I said that, my parents would get up and walk out. Um, have I, have I, well, they, they would get up and limp out. You're right. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, so if, have I, no, but maybe this guy had, maybe in front of his parents, he's always been respectful, but had he ever behind their backs said, man, my parents, they're so overbearing. They want me to keep all 613 of these laws. They're crazy. Or maybe he never did that, but it is hard. Can't stand my parents. They're horrible. Why would God give me these parents? And immediately he becomes guilty of breaking that command to honor your father and mother. Now this man says, All these things have I kept from my youth up. Now we know that's not true. But according to the false teaching that he had received, he was innocent of that. But yet the man says, Look at what he says. He says, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Okay, Jesus says, here's what you've got to do for eternal life. You've got to keep these commandments. And he goes, okay, I've done that. But listen, he knew there was something still missing, didn't he? The fact that he came back and said, well, what lack I yet? He knew there was more to it. He knew that there wasn't enough. He's like, I've done all that, but there was something missing in him. 
There was something in him where he said, I know that there's more to this. So what is it? Now, Jesus didn't say, well, first, or the first step is to keep these laws. He said, this is how you can have eternal life. He knew there was something missing. And Jesus could have argued the point from the Sermon on the Mount. He could have said, well, let's go through each of these and let's talk about if you've ever lusted. Let's talk about if you've ever been angry. Let's talk about if you've ever talked bad about your parents. But he didn't. He could have gone and, and discussed the spirit of the law. But he saw the man where he was and he met him there. What, I, what I'm learning from Jesus is that there is not a one, there is a one gospel fits all, but there's not a one size approach that fits all. You've got to see where people, at, where people are at, and you've got to have that discussion based on where they're at spiritually. And so Jesus knows where this man is, and he says this, If thou wilt be perfect. Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. If thou wilt be perfect, if you're going to be complete. Right? We know Jesus isn't saying if you're going to be uh, righteous, if you're going to be uh, if you're going to be sinless. Jesus knew he wasn't. Okay, but Jesus said if you're going to be complete, here's what you got to do: you got to go sell all that you have. If you want to be complete, because obviously you know you're lacking in some area, then here's what you got to do: go and sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then he says, then come follow me. Right? So there's a multiple step process here. Does this cause a problem for those of us who believe the Bible when it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works that he mentioned most. Is that, does that cause a problem? Is Jesus being inconsistent with what Paul said? Is Jesus prescribing a work for salvation? Well, first, because it might seem like that, right? If we just skim through this, we might go, well, Jesus is saying if I keep the commandments... Oh, well, okay, I've done that pretty good, so if I can just, if I sell everything I have, that's that's the step to salvation, by the way. If you want to be saved today, here's what you got to do. you got to go sell all that you have and give to the poor pastor. <laughs> just kidding. Um, pastor's not poor and he doesn't need it. But um, that's how you can be saved. If you'll do that, then you can be saved. Is, is that what Jesus is teaching? Well, there's a reason that Jesus says this. First, he's demonstrating to this man something that will help him see that he's lost. Okay. If, you're not, if you don't know that you're lost, you won't be saved. You have, to, you have to know you're lost before you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior to be saved. Second, Jesus is dealing with this man by all accounts that is good in the eyes of men. Yet he was also a man that loved his wealth more than anything. Some people love money. Some people love the things that money buys. Even if it means going into massive amounts of debts to attain it. Most, most of us, we go into debt because we want something, not because we need something. Yes, we need a car. Okay? But do we need that car? Yes, we want this. But do we need that level of it? You need transportation to get to work. You need, you need clothes. You need all these things. Like, but do I need the name brand of all these things? So Jesus was not giving a command to all men to sell everything and give to the poor. He gave that command to this man. Nowhere else in scripture are we told as general people to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. So Jesus is not giving to this man the prescription for salvation. 
He gave that command only to this man. And, it is, and I would say it's probably not God's will that every one of you go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. I don't think that's God's will for us all. In fact, uh, I, I, but I do think that to rule that out is unwise. Oh, Pastor, are you saying God might be calling me to do that? I'm not telling you he is calling you to do that, but I'm not going to tell you he's not telling you to do that. I don't know what God's moving in your life. But selling everything you have, giving it to the poor, will not save you. You know, it might be that God knows your love for money, and that's why he won't give it to you. Pastor, why do I have to struggle so much? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But maybe God knows that money would become your God. Maybe he knows that in the past money has been your God, so he's like, you know, I'm going to protect you from that. I'm going to protect you from having too much money. So by telling this man, follow me, Jesus is giving the man a choice. He's saying, do you want God or do you want stuff? Do you want life eternal or do you want abundant, an abundance of things in this life? Which one do you want? Do you want abundant life or an abundance of things in life? That's what he's giving him the choice of. You can choose between eternal treasure in heaven or corruptible treasure on earth. So here's what Jesus is teaching him. He says, listen, you, you say you've kept those six commands. But the man, no doubt, would have known, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know which number commandment is? That's number one. The first commandment given in Exodus chapter 20 is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That man knew that one as well as he knew anything else. And when Jesus said, you have a choice, you can have your stuff or you can have me, he's drawing a line that you, have, you either have to worship God or you have to worship your stuff. That's what he's coming down to. Jesus is not telling him, hey, you know what, if you would sell everything you have, that would save you. But listen, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to sell everything you have because that's your God in your life. The God, this, the God in this man's life was material possessions. And the reality is this man knew that those material possessions were not fulfilling him. He knew there was something that he was still missing. He came running to Jesus, probably having heard of the fullness that he had brought so many. He kneeled at the feet of Jesus, humbly asking what he could do to have eternal life. And many wealthy people don't know how to accept gifts. We talked about that last week. That wealthy people say, uh, you know what, I'll just buy it. I don't need your pity. I don't want your, I don't want your charity. I'm, I'm just going to buy it. And we, I struggle with that. Not necessarily because I'm wealthy, but I struggle with that because of my pride. My pride says, I don't need your help. I can do it on my own. I can work hard. And if I work hard enough, then I can take care of myself. The only way out of the problem is to humble yourself and not depend on your riches. So it's like this man is saying this. Okay, Jesus, tell me what charity to give to so I can have eternal life. But Jesus is saying, you don't need to give to this charity. You need to give everything away. You know, it honestly didn't matter where it went. It didn't matter. Jesus said, give it to the poor. But the, re the, the real issue here was that it needed to be out of this man's life. That he needed to be willing to give up the thing he was trusting in so that he could trust in the Savior. But this man would not give up his God. Listen, he came with respect. 
He came with what looks like humility. He asked the right person. He asks almost the right question, yet he continued in his sorrow. The Bible tells us in verse number 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. As far as we know, this man lived in misery the rest of his life. Why? And, and by the way, and that means if he did, that he died, and he did not have redemption, so he went to spend an eternity in a place of torment called hell. All because he just would not give up his possessions. In verse 23, I'll tell you what, I've got too much here to finish today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close here in just a moment. And I'll, and I'll address the rest of this next week. So let me give you this. What shall we do? Slide 15, right? I'm sorry. Going out, of, going out of order. What shall we do? What must I do? What good thing must I do to have eternal life? Well, the question is not so much what you can do, but it is what you can let go of. I know you, I've told you the illustration. I think I even used it last week that as we try, and so if you're bored of this illustration, I'm sorry, but it works for me. But if I'm trying to get to heaven and I climb a rope and I think I'm going to climb a rope, I'm going to get up to heaven. Where's heaven? I don't know. But there's this rope hanging there and I'm going to get there. And everybody's got a rope and we all begin to climb and we all think, man, I tell you what, I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't have the strength I used to have. He's got more upper body strength. He's going to make it further than I am. There's no knots in the rope. How come there's no knots in the rope? I need those to help me. Here's the thing. No matter what any of the, the results of any of those for us, whether we're big and strong or whether we're not, none of us would ever make it to heaven. The only thing we can do is let go. Let go of your desire to earn your way there. Let go of your desire to be a part of the redemption process. You cannot. You be, listen, you've got to let go of your tithing. You've got to let go of your church attendance. You've got to let go of your baptism. You've got to let go of your good works. Whatever your God is, because here's the thing, if you believe that, hey, it's going to, hey, Jesus, thank you for saving me that day that I got baptized. I think Rosie brought up a song in Sunday school this morning. I'm talking about Rosie. She's not even in here. She's done with the kids. Um, but Rosie brought up a song that talks about um, how, you know, coming up out of the water and being washed and being cleansed. And, and, and maybe the song isn't particularly speaking of baptismal regeneration, but it sure sounds like it sometimes. And, and she was talking about that song. If you believe that your baptism is going to get you to heaven, your trust is not holy in Jesus Christ. Here's what your trust is in. Your baptism, which really means your trust is in you. That I have done something. I have been good enough. I have been strong enough. And people like me. You know, I don't know what that's from. That's from a movie. Um, I have been good enough. I've been strong enough. And so because of that, I'm going to make it to heaven. But Jesus said, listen, that's not going to do it. You can't be good enough or strong enough. If your trust is in anything but Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is not your God. You must trust him alone. This man, this rich young ruler, thought he had it all. He realized that there's a teacher somewhere, there's this guy walking around, and he's, 
He's sharing things with people. And people are coming out of there. They're happy. They're rejoicing. Some of them used to be lame. Now they can walk. Some of them used to have a, a, a hand that didn't work, a withered hand. But now their hand works. Some of them had demons. And now they're free of those demons. Some of them are cutting themselves. And now they're rejoicing and singing praises to God. This man had heard about all that. And he's like, I have everything. He was probably a part of the Sanhedrin. He was probably... Uh, someone who was very, not we know he's wealthy, we all, we, he's probably very powerful. He had everything he could want. And he realized there's something missing. And when he asked Jesus, what, must, what, what good thing can I do? And Jesus said, here's what you've got to do, you've got to keep the commandments. And he says, I've done all that. What lack I yet? He knew there was something still missing. Somebody in this room may know there's something that's still missing. I went forward in church when I was five years old. I went forward in church when I was seven years old. I went forward in church when I was 12, 13 years old. It doesn't really matter. I got baptized. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is, is your faith been only in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. So this man, he heard about this guy and he said, I'm going to go. This is a good teacher. He, you see, he wasn't speaking about Jesus being truly good. He was speaking about the character that he had seen in him, or that he heard about him. He said, he's a good one. He said, I want to part of that. And I can afford more than the rest of those people. Listen, Jesus, I understand you forgiving the, the widow with the two mites. I understand that two mites is good enough for her, but I can afford more. And so I'm, I'm willing to give. I'm willing to tell me what I've got to do. Whatever you want. The problem is that he only wanted eternal life. He didn't want the change in life that comes with salvation. You see, what Jesus was giving here was not just a recipe to go to heaven. He was telling him this is what it means to have eternal life. That if you will turn your back on your God, you say, but Pastor, I, I want to be saved. I, got, I trusted Jesus. I got baptized. And man, I'm telling you, I'm just living my life. Are you living it the same way you were before? Because that's a problem. This man didn't want to change his life. He wanted to change his eternity. But with a change of eternity comes a change of life. And repentance is not just some ooey-gooey spiritual thing where we go, uh, boy, I, okay, Lord, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent. Yep, I've sinned. I'm going to repent of that. No, it means that I'm turning my back on the old style. I'm turning my back on the things that I thought were getting me there, and I'm turning to Jesus Christ alone. Have you done that? Mike is going to come. We're going to prepare to sing a hymn of invitation. And during this invitation, this is a time where we invite you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I invite you. Yes, you can do it in your seat. Maybe you have questions. Here, here's the thing. We believe the Word of God is the only authority in life. So if I tell you something that is not the Word of God, you can disregard it. Okay? You need, to, you need to check it out for yourselves. We say, Pastor, can you show me more from the Word of God how I can know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? God, listen, Jesus, uh, who is God, desires that you have assurance of your salvation. He desires for you to know that when you die today, if you die today, if you die today, that you know that you will be with Him for eternity. But listen, if you don't die today, are you willing to live for Him? Jesus said, so all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Are you following Jesus with your life? Not just on Sunday, 
but with your life direction, with your life decisions. Are you following him? If, you're, if you've never trusted him, please trust him. Today, come down, walk down this aisle, down the side aisle. I'll, I'll talk with you. We'll get one of the, Brother Ryan, Brother Andrew, somebody will come talk with you and share the gospel with you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, I, I really know I'm saved, but I have not been following Jesus, and I need to change that. Listen, I know you can make that decision in your seat. And I'm not trying to get a full altar. If, you, if nobody comes as invitation, I'm going to go home completely satisfied that I preached what I knew to preach. And I tried to be faithful to it. And I prayed about it. And I asked God to do something. But if, if, if you don't come forward, I'm going to sleep okay. But if you need to come forward and you need prayer, you need help and understanding salvation, please don't leave here today until you've talked with us. Until you've searched out the Word of God. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.